Welcome to the First Pulpit Podcast with Pastor Brent Snook. In this podcast, Brent is starting a new series titled Countdown to Armageddon. With all that's going on in our world today, this series will help you understand what God says about future events. Today's episode, Brent is going to answer the question, what are the signs of the end times? When it comes to the topic that we're going to address for the next couple months on Sunday nights, it is one that is certainly very intriguing. It is one that is certainly people are interested in, people that have been saved, people that have been saved for umpteen years and people that have been saved for a short time. When you think about and believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, and when you think about the events leading up to his coming, and you try to discern the times, and you say, man, it looks like his coming could be at any time, uh, the question would be, well, what do you base that on? There have been people all throughout the years that have tried to set dates for Jesus' return. And I can tell you that anybody who sets a date and says Christ is coming back at this time, the greatest thing and the best thing for you to do is run from them. And the reason I say that is because nobody knows the day and nobody knows the hour. But Jesus does talk about the signs of the time. When it comes to the signs of the times, it certainly appears that, uh, you know, it could be any day. When it comes to the signs of the time, people may say to you, well, this has to happen before Christ can come back. Let me just say a couple things. Most of the signs of the time have to do with the second coming. There is a difference, and I say this, I I get that we got a lot of people who know this and you've been uh, saved for years, but not everybody, thank God, we are, you're in a church where not everybody knows what you know. I love that. I don't want to be in a church with a bunch of people who just know, who know the Bible in, uh, backwards and forwards. If we're in a church where everybody knows the Bible backwards and forwards, all that means is we don't have any babes in Christ here. All that means is we don't have any young Christians here. And I hope to God that First Baptist Church never becomes a church where everybody knows everything or at least thinks that they know everything. When somebody says something like, well, the signs of the time or this has to happen before, no, I want to tell you there's nothing else that needs to happen before Jesus Christ comes back. There's a difference in the second coming and the rapture. Always know that. The rapture is when, how do you you distinguish? Um, And and again, the second coming really technically means from the beginning of the, from the rapture all the way until the end. Uh, uh, when the Battle of Armageddon takes place in the millennial reign, okay? But when, when you say technically the second coming is the rapture and the rapture is the second coming, technically that is not true, okay? The rapture is where Jesus Christ comes back, but his feet do not touch the earth. You can remember it that way. The second coming technically is when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation and his feet do touch the earth. And that's how you can remember the difference in the technicality of it. Most of the signs of the time of the second coming deal with the, 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 exactly that, the second coming. The rapture is definitely way before the second coming. So when you're talking about the signs of the second coming, the rapture can take place at any time. But there are many signs that we can look at today. Uh, there are many things that have taken place with, um, in our day and age, your day and age, that would be easy to say, man, the Lord's coming back today. But we step back and we say, he is only, he's the only one that knows. But I want to give to you one of the most, and, and I hope that everybody will listen tonight. Um, I hope that everybody will grasp this tonight, one of the most convincing evidences of Bible inspiration. Now, when I say Bible inspiration, I'm talking to that everything in this book is true. Everything in this book is accurate. People will say, well, there are errors in the Bible. My answer to that is, show me, because they can't. Okay, there may be seemingly discrepancies, but I assure you there is no discrepancy and there is no error. 
And I want to tell you that one of the greatest evidences that this Bible is the inspired Word of God is the amazing number of prophecies that have already been fulfilled. Let me give to you an example. Perhaps the most familiar examples are the fulfillment of more than 300 prophecies that related to Jesus Christ's birth. Just his birth. There are over 300 prophecies that have come to pass that the Word of God is spoken of just regarding the birth of Christ. Did you know that there are far more prophecies in the Bible regarding his second coming? Far more prophecies in the Bible about the second coming of Christ. And if there are 300 prophecies about his birth and those have come to pass, that surely gives me great confidence in the prophecies of the second coming. How many of you have read um, Tim LaHaye's book, uh, books? on the, the, the Left Behind series. How many of you have read those? Okay. Tim Le, uh, LaHaye said this, and I quote, he said, no scholar of academic substance denies that Jesus Christ lived almost 2,000 years ago. And we find three times as many prophecies in the Bible relating to his second coming as to his first. Thus, the second advent, which is the second coming of our Lord, is three times as certain as his first coming, which can be verified by historical fact. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of wisdom, of discerning the signs of the times. Okay? The Word of God speaks about how that we can discern the signs of of the time. Remember when he talked about the fig tree and he talked in, and used that as an example and how that when you see the fig tree bud and how that it, the second coming, you can see the signs begin and taking appropriate action as we wait for his return. If you come to this series and you're excited about coming Sunday nights and I'm excited about preaching on this subject on Sunday nights, but we don't let it penetrate our hearts to change us to be more like Christ, then so what? So what? I know a lot of people who know Bible prophecy, and they'll run around to every single Bible prophecy conference and, and series, and yet it doesn't change them. The Bible says in 1 John that when we study prophecy and when we look for his return, it should purify our hearts, and our lives. Now, let me give to you, um, and I'm going to show you a map. You got the map, not, not yet, but um, you got the map, right? Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. I do appreciate so much the people that work in the tech ministry, I'm telling you. Uh, we need more. We do need more people that will work that. Let me give you a quick timeline of the end times. Okay, this is really, really general. Uh, and, and I've done this before, but this is a general one. First of all is the preparation for fulfillment, okay? The preparation of fulfillment. The next thing that should happen in the timeline of the end time events is the rapture of the Christian. As soon as the rapture of the Christian takes place, what is the rapture of the Christian? That's when all of God's saints are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and we will go to heaven. There will be a lot of things that happen in heaven. What begins to take place on this earth? There will be absolute 100% chaos. Just try to think about it for a moment, and, and I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but just let your mind wander of what it will be like when the Christians are raptured up to heaven. All of the pilots who are Christians, planes will go down. All of the Christians who are in cars driving at the rapture, their car will be in chaos without a driver unless you have those, what's that called? What, what is it? Tesla, yeah. How many of you have one of those? I saw somebody scratch their head. I thought, man, I want to ride home. I can't wait for that, but anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, there'll be absolute chaos in this world. And I know you're going to say, well, won't the whole world believe because of the chaos? Think about it. No. 
I mean, there is chaos that happens and things that the Lord shows himself real and people just don't believe because their eyes are blinded. So the next thing is the rapture of the church. Then immediately the tribulation begins, the seven-year tribulation period of time on this earth that it will be, and I don't know any other way to say it, it'll be absolute, it'll be hell on earth. Now, really hell? No. No, there's a real hell. And, and, and the, the subject of hell can trip you up, trip me up, because we're never going to fully grasp hell, are we? But we believe on it. Why? Because the Bible says so, and God's Word says so, and Jesus Christ said so. And so uh, there will be seven years of crazy chaos in this world, which we will talk about in this series. The Antichrist will come and set up his empire. And then the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ will happen. At the end of that second uh, coming of Christ, the millennial reign, I believe in a thousand-year, true, literal, millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at things like this in the next couple of weeks. What are the signs of the coming storm? Tonight I'm going to give you one. And I hope and pray somehow, some way, God will get into kids' lives, hearts and minds and adults, and we will think on this because you're going to think, well, I can't wait to hear what this one is. It's probably not what you're expecting. But I'm telling you, it is absolutely intriguing and amazing to me. We're going to look at signs of the coming storm signs of that. Next week we'll be dealing with that as well. Um, uh, What does terrorism in our world have to do with all this? We'll be looking at things like, um, will America remain a superpower? Um, We'll we'll look at things like, uh, what is America's role in the end times? Uh, We'll look at the rapture in more detail, and we'll look at uh, when the Antichrist comes to rule in this world, and he will. But tonight I want to look at one simple thing, and that is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. Did you know that... If I were to ask you before, if I were to ask you in the lobby and I would have taken a survey or had some people out there and ask you, what do you think is the most important nation on earth? I'm going to guess that most people walking in here would have said, uh, America. No, it's not. Most important nation on this earth is not America. The most important nation in this earth, on this earth, is Israel. It is Israel. You will never fully understand Bible prophecy if you do not understand Israel. Everything revolves around Israel. Here's my point. It's so small. And yet it is the number one most important place on the face of God's earth. Everything revolves around Israel. Now listen, Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5 says this, Thus saith the Lord God, this, listen to the verse, This is Jerusalem, I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. I, I don't care, you can leave that map up there all this whole time, I don't care. Because I want you to continue to see that you can't even hardly find it and yet it is the central focal point of the world. It is here at this tiny, tiny nation of Israel that the three great continents meet together, Europe, Asia, Africa. And Israel is right there. It is the geographical center of the world. It is the spiritual center of the world. The three major religions are right there, right at Jerusalem, right in Israel. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, right there. It's here in Jerusalem and Israel that Jesus was born, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus ascended to heaven. And one day, that's the very place Jesus said, I'm going to return. 
Israel. It is also the prophetical center of the world. The prophetical center. If you want to know what time it is on God's timetable, you better keep your eyes peeled on Israel. Look at Israel. It is also the political center of the world because it is here in little Israel that the battle of Armageddon will be fought one day. The biggest battle nothing have ever compared to the battle of Armageddon, and it'll be fought in Israel. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Israel. Did you know that we're supposed to pray for the peace of Israel? I don't know why it's doing that. David did not exhort us in Psalm to pray for the peace on earth. He never did that. He didn't say pray for the peace on earth. But I want to tell you, there will never be peace on earth, so don't expect it. We are told, however, to pray for the peace of Israel. There will be no peace in Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace returns. So what is he telling us? We are to pray for peace now for Israel. Why? Hey, listen, if you ever begin to doubt that God is alive, that God is well and still on the throne, just look at Israel. Now, let me give you the foundation. And if I lose anybody, this is where it'll be, okay? Because I'm going to go back to the foundation of Israel, and I want you to just try to look up the passages with me, and then we'll move on to what's going on now. And, and again, if you'll get this message, and you must get this message, you will so much more understand prophecy. So the foundation of Israel. Israel is here today as a result of a miraculous birth. Turn to Genesis chapter 18, and we'll look. Genesis chapter 18 and I want to read verses 9 through 14. For some of you, this is a familiar passage. For some of you, it is not. Why am I reading this? Going back to history. Oh, boy. Okay, we don't care. You need to. I want you to understand the foundation of this nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. Let's begin reading. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah my, uh, thy wife? And Abraham said, Behold, in the tent... And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, is going to have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah, they were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, listen, just simple. He's saying, she, there's no way she's going to have a, a, a child. She's old. She can't. Move on, verse 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have, my, have pleasure, and uh, my Lord being old also? So in other words, tell me about it. She laughed. I'm going to have a baby when I'm an old woman and he's an old man? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah, or why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child? which am old, is anything too hard for the Lord, God said. At the same appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. At the time God promised Abraham a son, he was the president of the HARP. You know what that is? Hebrew Association of Retired People, okay? He wasn't going to, humanly speaking, have a son. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. Simply put, all of their reproductive powers were dead. But God asked an important question. He said, is anything too hard for thee? Now the covenant came along. The covenant. Almighty God made a binding covenant with Abraham. A binding covenant. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Let's read it. Turn back there, Genesis chapter 12. I just looked at the clock, and i got to start flying now. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, 
get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. Wait a minute, is that important? I will make of thee a great nation, God told Abraham, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them. Here we go, this is important. I will bless them that bless thee, and I'm going to curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. There are four unconditional promises God made with Abraham. Four of them. Four unconditional promises. First of all, God promised to bless Abraham. God promised that. He didn't say, if you, then I will. God just gave an unconditional promise. I'm going to bless Abraham. Mark Twain once wrote this. He said, Jews constitute, listen to this, Jews constitute, uh, constitute only 1% of the human race. Actually, that's not accurate. Less than a percent. It suggests a nebulous gem puff of stardust in the blaze of the Milky Way, he said. Properly, the Jew ought to hardly be heard of, but he is heard of. He is as prominent on this planet as any other people. His commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of its bulk, in other words, of the size of it. His contribution to the world list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and learning are also altogether out of proportion to the weakness of its number. He said he has made a marvelous fight in the world of all ages, and he has done it with his hands tied behind his back. God promised to bless Abraham. Number two, God promised to bring out of Abraham a great nation. You still with me? He promised Abraham, I'm going to bring out of you a great nation. What amazes so many people is that Israel has a population today, you know what it is? About 8 million people. About 8 million people. That's it. That's crazy. About 8 million people in Israel. Yet the geopolitical center of the world is in Israel. And it has a total land space smaller than New Jersey. I mean, some of us have been there. You can go from Galilee all the way down and you can make that trip and see it all in really a day or less. And yet, what a great nation. Number three, God promised to make Abraham a blessing to many. Just think of what this world would be without the Jews. Think about it. There'd be no Bible. There'd be no Jesus. There'd be no Christianity. There'd be no Ten Commandments. Fourth, God promised to bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. Let's think about our country that we love, the United States of America. Let me ask you a question. Why is God still blessing this place? Why does God bless America? What does God owe to us? We were founded on godly principles. Yes, we were. Our government was founded on Old Testament principles. There's so much about our land that we took from Judeo-Christianity. God has blessed us, but what about today? We murder babies, we call good bad, and we call bad or evil good. Why is God still blessing us? I'll tell you one reason, because we still bless Israel. We still bless Israel. And God promised that those who will bless Israel will be blessed. No nation has blessed Israel like the United States of America. None. We give about, from my last, and I haven't checked this in the last year, but we give about 12% of America's foreign aid goes to Israel. And no nation has, been, uh, has blessed Israel like the United States of America. And think about this. And no nation on the face of God's earth has been so blessed as the United States. Why? Because we blessed Israel. 
Did you know that throughout Israel's turbulent, turbulent history, the USA has consistently been its closest ally and supporter? America's support for Israel today is more important than ever. You know why? Because standing with Israel is becoming so unpopular. And anti-Israel and anti-USA attitude pervades in the United Nations. The jihadist hatred for Israel puts America under great and growing pressure to throw Israel under the bus. But we haven't done that. And because we haven't done that, God keeps blessing us. Let me answer a question. Why did God make the covenant with Jews? According to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 12, because it was his sovereign purpose to do so. Now, I want you to think about the conflict with me. That's the covenant. Where's the conflict? The conflict took place. Understand this. Now, teenagers, don't, 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 you know, start thinking about school tomorrow. Nothing good's going to happen there except, you know, tests and quizzes and all that stuff. Listen, the conflict started between Abraham's two sons. Got to understand this. One of the sons came from the slave woman, Hagar, and one of the sons from Abram's wife, Sarah. The conflict lies in the fact that both of them claim to be descendants of Abraham. And so now, Ishmael, you have the Arab race, and Isaac, you have the Jewish race. Conflict. We get that, right? Now, what are the fundamentals of Israel? Listen carefully. First of all, understand their rebellion. I just hope you're with me. Their rebellion. If we were to turn to Deuteronomy 28, we're not going to take time to do that, we're going to, we would see that God had promised to bless them if they followed him and if they obeyed him. That was the promise. And now he begins to talk with them if they disobeyed him. Deuteronomy chapter 28, listen to some verses. Verse 15, God said, to, to Israel, it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, if you won't hearken to me, God said, to Israel, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Jump down to verse 25. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed into all of the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 63, he goes on and says, And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good, as God rejoiced to bless you, to do you good, and to multiply you, so... You want to disobey me, God says? The Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught, and ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it, and the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Now, do you get that? Did, did that all make sense to you? Somebody shake their head, yes or no. God's simply saying to Israel, you bless me and I'm going to bless you abundantly. You disobey and continue in your disobedience and I'm going to curse you. What happened? Israel rebelled and Israel rejected God. 
And as a result, they were overwhelmed by pagan nations, and over and over again, they were deported to other lands. And the final time this happened, Jesus had predicted it in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. Question, did it come to pass? Yeah, it did. They rebelled, and we see their rejection. Listen, Israel had no excuse. They didn't have any excuse. Her people had been warned again and again and again that God was a jealous God and God would not tolerate his people worshiping other gods. God had warned them and warned them and told them and told them and they did it anyway. By the way, there's a whole lot of application there for you and me. You want God's blessing on your life? Walk with God. You want to watch your life fall into shambles and one day your life, you say, I don't know how my life ended up like this. Like I hear people say all the time to me, don't obey God. Just disobey him over and over. Now I'm not talking about falling and getting up. I'm talking about falling and living and staying. Well, we see what happened to Israel, the scattering of the Jews. The Jews had been scattered into the world by the Assyrians. The Jews had been scattered into the world by the Babylonians. And then all of a sudden in A.D. 70, A.D. 70, just several decades after Jesus Christ died, buried, rose again, and ascended to heaven, just several day, decades after Jesus ascended, the Roman emperor Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And the Jews were scattered like chaff into the wind to the four corners of the earth. Oh, the scattering of the Jews. Think about the suffering of the Jews. Folks, no people on the face of the earth have suffered like the Jewish people. During World War I, it was horrific. By 1945, two out of every three European Jews had been murdered. Murdered. The Holocaust brought about the extermination. Listen to this. I wish everybody could go into the museum, the Holocaust Museum in Israel. I wish everybody was forced to go. The Holocaust brought about the extermination of one-third of the worldwide Jewish population. Extermination centers were established in Poland. Millions and millions died in the ghettos and the concentration camps through starvation and through execution and through crazy brutality and through disease. Hey, yes, God chose the Jews. He singled them out from all of the people to be the recipients of the covenant blessing. But the greater the blessing, the greater the burden they bore for failing God and disobeying him. Folks, God punishes or God chastises his people. You want to run to a church or to your little internet area where it's all Goo goo gaga, and it's all easy believism, and it's where it's only about the love of God, and you don't take the rest of the whole counsel of God's word, and you don't have an accurate picture of God. God chastises his children, but thank God he never rejects his children. Never. Let me give to you as quickly as I can the fulfillment of Israel. Y'all still hanging? The fulfillment of Israel. For nearly 2,000 years, the Jews were scattered 
without a land. I'm telling you, if you'll stay with me and you'll walk out of here grasping what this message is about, it will get you ready because you will believe and you will know that God's word is so accurate. For nearly 2,000 years, the Jews were scattered, scattered, 2,000 years. They didn't have a land. God made a promise to the nation of Israel, however. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather Israel and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 17. Therefore, say, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people. I will assemble you out of the countries where ye have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. I mean, think about what God's saying and promising. For 2,000 years, 2,000 years. Y'all grasping 2,000 years. They had no land. They were scattered to the ends of the earth. But God had promised, I'll gather you together. God had prophesied, I'm going to bring you back together. Friend, that is why the Jews cannot be assimilated, and that is why the Jews can't be eliminated no matter who hates them. Let me ask you a question. Let's think about, let's think for a minute about the greatest empires this world's ever known. Can you name them? How about the Babylonians? Where are they? How about the Hittites? Where are they? How about the Amalekites? The powerful force of the Amalekites. Where are they at? How about the Philistines? We read a lot about them in the Old Testament and their power. How about the Assyrians? Well, that's not hard to answer. Where are they? Well, they're no more. But the Jews still stand. That tiny little nation that you can't find on a map. That tiny little area of about 8 million people. The most important date in the 20th century was May 14th, 1948. A nation was born in one day, in a day. A nation that had been dormant, a nation that had been dead for 2,000 years was raised to life. Great Britain, they ended its mandate in Palestine and they removed its troops and only 650,000 Jews were left to govern themselves in their land, 650,000 Jews. That's it. On May 14, 1948, they announced to the world that they were now a sovereign state. Really? Yeah, and at 6-11, President Truman's press secretary, Charlie Ross, stepped out to meet an awaiting press out there, and he read these words. These are the words he read. The government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine. He went on and said, the United States recognizes the provisional government as de facto authority of the new state of Israel. Okay. What's the big deal? 
the big deal <laughs> is that their promise from God was fulfilled. All of the Jews came back now and were looked at as a people, a land. The author by the name of Milton Lindbergh said this, and listen carefully. He said, and I quote, without the existence of the nation of Israel, we would not be able to say with certainty that we are in the last days. He said that single event, more than any other event, is the most prominent sign that we are living in the final moments before the coming of Jesus Christ. The Hebrew people have been called God's timepiece of the ages. Hey, when Israel was born, there were approximately, as I said, 650,000 Jews living in the land. By the way, that's less than one-third of the Cincinnati proper population. That's all. Do you know what they were surrounded with? 650,000 people now back in the land. Do you know what they were surrounded with? You, you guys still with me? You want to know what they were surrounded with? 40 million Arabs. 40 million people. You say, okay, so what's that mean? Let me tell you. Here's what it means. 650,000 people were in that little tiny country now. And America said, yes, they are a people. They are a country. 650,000 people were surrounded by 40 million people who vowed that the moment they came into existence, that they would drive them, the Jewish people, into the Mediterranean Sea. This tiny little nation was outnumbered in soldiers, they were outnumbered in military equipment, and they were outnumbered in vehicles. They were outnumbered 40 to 1 in troops. They were outnumbered 100 to 1 in population. They were outnumbered 1,000 to 1 in military equipment. And yet go back and study the battles of Israel since 1948. Time doesn't permit to tell the number of battles that she fought and that she won against all heavy odds. In one battle, 20,000 Arab people were captured by 400 Israeli troops. That's like Old Testament story stuff, right? By the time the UN stepped in and called for a truce, Israel, who was supposed to be exterminated within a few hours, was 150 miles into their Egyptian territory. How in the world do you explain that? I'll I tell you how you explain it. The fight was fixed. <laughs> it was fixed. In 1967, the Six-Day War, Israel in that war was outnumbered 80 to 1. But in just six days, they defeated Egypt, they defeated Syria, and they defeated Jordan. Go put your feet on the land and look around, and you'll see they're surrounded. When the war was finished, Israel had amassed three times the landmass of the original territory that they had. Today, Israel with a population somewhere around 8 million people is one of the strongest military powers in the world. 1948, the land Israel was given 60% barren desert land. And yet today they turned a 
a wasteland into modern cities and fertile farmland. It is only one of six nations that can produce enough food to feed itself and to feed others. 1946, the Valley of Armageddon. You need to stand there and look at the Valley of Armageddon sometime. And in the Valley of Armageddon in 1946, it was a mosquito-infested swampland. Today, it is a fertile valley that yields up four different crops every year. It is the fourth largest export of fruit in the entire world, and it is the main supplier of flowers in the world. Israel is only one-fourth of one percent of the world's population. Did that register? Bunch of numbers? Ah, not getting it. Let me say it again. Israel is one-fourth of a percent of the world's population, and yet they have won 12% of all of the honors in medicine, in health, in music, in public life, in science, and they've won 25% of the Nobel Prize winners are Jews. Israel is the nation that won't go away. She's an indestructible people. Do you know what it would take to destroy Israel? Well, listen to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35 and 36. Thus saith the Lord, listen, listen, we're almost done. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for the light of day and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for the light by night. Don't you love God's word the way he portrays everything? Like the sun gives light for the day, and the moon and the stars give light for the night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. He's the one that provides it. If those ordinances, listen, if those ordinances, what do you mean the ordinances? The moon, the stars, the sun, the roaring of the waves, if they depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, think about it. If the sun quits shining and the moon quits shining, and the stars quit shining, and the waves of the sea were no more, then Israel will cease to exist. In other words, God's saying, they're staying around. Why? Because God says so. Just one more thing. According to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3, all, all of the nations of the earth will ultimately and eventually, I said all of the nations of the earth, will ultimately and eventually gather against the nation of Israel. They're coming against Israel one day. It will appear as if the final curtain has finally been drawn for this little nation that has been so hated over the years. But at that moment, when it appears that all Israel is lost and there's no hope, the devil's Superman, who's that? The Antichrist. And the nations of the world will come against Israel, but the Lord Jesus Christ will come to her rescue once again. Say, now why do you think that? Because God's word says so. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Israel, God said. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. God tells us why. To battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord God go forth, and then he shall fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. 
Listen, friend. The hope of the people of the nation of Israel is not in a land. Their hope is in the Lord. The hope of the nation of Israel is not in missiles, it's not in money, it's not in might, and it's not in manpower. It's in a master. And Jesus Christ one day will come back at the end of the tribulation and take care once again of its people. You want to know where the world is headed? It's headed to the finale. The first sign. You came tonight. The first sign of the coming storm or the finale or the event or the countdown to Armageddon, the first sign is Israel. Israel. Now, you may be here tonight, and you may say, man, what's that got to do with me? My life? My answer is everything. Everything. If you're here tonight and you are unsaved, you need to get saved. If you're here tonight and you say you're saved, but you are not living for God, you need to come tonight and get things right with God. If you are serving the Lord, then keep serving Him and get even more fired up because Jesus Christ is coming soon. He said so. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for tuning in to the First Pulpit Podcast with Pastor Brent Snook. We trust this series, The Countdown to Armageddon, is a challenge and encouragement to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast so that others can benefit from the messages of Pastor Brent Snook.